broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for episode 94 of Freight 360. We're one episode closer to the centennial mark. I'm super excited. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, man. Had a good, I've had a good day so far. Yeah, it's been a good one. We just uh, just wrapped up a coaching session with TIA earlier today for the new broker success package, all about tools and technology, an episode that I'm pretty sure we did two weeks ago here. So yeah, our, been, our listeners got a pretty ago. good preview. Yeah, already. Good stuff. good stuff. Today's episode is, this is by request. We've got a lot of folks that look for some entry level education. So we're going to go over a lot of the important documentation involved in the process of being a freight broker from, you know, all the way from the beginning when you quote your customer to the end when your load is delivered and maybe there's even a claim on it. So we'll talk about all that stuff. But first, thanks for joining us. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, you'll get the latest podcasts every Friday morning at midnight Eastern time. That's Thursday night going into Friday and hit that or hit that review button, hit five stars. That is what helps us rank the best is the five-star reviews and that subscribe button on iTunes. So make sure to do that. Share us with all your friends in the industry, refer us over, but uh, yeah, good stuff, man. It's good to be back for another week here. Let's hit up a little sports update here real quick. U.S. Open. <sighs> Yeah, man. John Rahm pulled it out in a spectacular fashion, birdied 17 and 18 to be leading. And um, he finished well before Louis Oosthuizen even finished. So it was a really great Sunday of golf. I mean, you're watching Louis come in the final few holes knowing he needed to birdie 17 and 18 to push it into a playoff. And then he he parred 17. So he would have needed an Eagle on 18 to tie John Ron to push yeah. into a playoff. Couldn't do it. He hit a ball into the rough and the left, and then he had to lay up. So he had to chip it in. Well, I wouldn't call it a chip. It was a 65 yard shot at the hole, but I'll tell you what, I mean, he threw a dart at it. It was about six feet long spun back, but didn't fall John Rom, But I mean, super excited to see him win it. I mean, this is a After guy we talked week, about yeah. it. Yeah. Two weeks ago, two he weeks was, ago. He was the leader by six strokes Saturday when he got, um, well, tested positive for COVID and he had to resign from the tournament as the leader, which kicking the teeth. But interview with him after was so cool because he said, you know, I just kept my head in. I stayed positive. I knew good things would come if I just focused on what I could do and what I could control. And the coolest part was not only John Rome that he won and that happened, but He's, he was his first Father's Day. He had a son two months ago. And where they played, Torrey Pines, is also the place where John Rom won his first PGA tournament. It's where his family lives. And um, he proposed to his wife at Torrey Pines, actually, because that was the place he won his first PGA. So, I mean, wow. kind of gives me chills. It was just really cool to see a guy that I really like to watch. I think he's a good human being. So I wonder if he'll cool. retire from Torrey Pines one day. And it is pretty cool. I mean, nice. all around. It was it was just a great Father's Day. I mean, how was your Father's Day? Speaking of, it was good. Um, for me, holidays tend to be running around from house to house to house. Family so to family it, to family. it's like another day at work. So, but it was good, man. Always good. So good stuff. So today's topic all about important documents. But first, let's give a shout out to our sponsor Friends over at DAT. 
Yeah, take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make a clear and confident pricing decision. And with us, if you check out our show notes, you'll be able to get a free month free of DAT. Take a look, whether it's Power, Express, or any of their products. Yeah. And also, we just launched in conjunction with DAT, the Freight Broker Basics course, and our group coaching. Um, So check out links in the show notes for that too. We've got uh, folks signing up left and right. We're super excited for it. And the feedback's been great. Um, I said this from day one, I would take our course head to head against anyone else. And I think we're the superior product and uh, we come at a better price tag too. So we're out here serving the people, man. You know, this came by request. We didn't, we didn't start this as a, uh, as a profit center. Um, There was a demand. People wanted education. They want it in a condensed, not condensed. They want it into a structured format that was easy to navigate through is self-paced and and an option for, for coaching where you don't have to necessarily be one-on-one, but in a group. And I'll tell you that, that group coaching session we did this week was, was really, really cool to have, um, you know, folks in there asking questions and learning from each other. So you get a, you get the first, you get your first month at a discount. Um, I think the promo code is free month. Free so month. Free month. You want if you want to sign up for a group coaching right now, you can go to the link in the show notes, type in discount code free month, and you'll get your first month of group coaching for free with Nate yep. and I and you know our other coaches that we're gonna have in the rotation. But this is like Nate said, we didn't set out to do this. We didn't set out to develop products and sell things. This really was a podcast we enjoyed, but you know, we'd been asked and asked and asked and really excited for, you know, DAT to be, you know, behind us and partnering with us along the way. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into the episode. Important documents for freight brokers. So I want to start off by discussing kind of what documents are and also how correspondence kind of rolls in here. Because here, here's the, the reason we're doing this episode is documentation and paper trail and documenting correspondence is a very necessary thing as a freight broker because whether it's a rate or it's a agreement to do something or some kind of note or a time or anything, right? If you can't, if you don't have documentation or you can't prove it, it never happened. And it's, if they're in the uh, event of a claim or a dispute on a customer invoice rate or a carrier rate, this is the stuff that's going to back everything up. And we're going to talk about um, some legally required documents, but also some recommended ones too. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk about this too. So some people, like we're going to talk about uh, load tenders, right? When a customer sends you a load and agrees to a rate and whatnot. Um, so if it's done verbally, it can be very, very dangerous because they could dispute just about anything that was said over the phone that wasn't documented. So uh, C-Y-A. Yeah. Cover C-Y-A. You know what that stands ass, for? Right. Cover your ass. So Cover your ass. emails, text messages, if you can get any kind of you know written correspondence versus an actual hard copy of a document, those are going to be just as good as far as the paper trail. So I just want to say that up front. Um, other things like a bill of lading that requires signatures, yeah, it's not going to be a text message. So now why are they important? We already kind of talked about that. Um, claims, right? No one ever wants a claim, but they will happen at some point or another. And this kind of documentation is going to be wanted. Also, if a carrier files on your bond, the bond company, the first thing they're going to say is, 
you give me your story and then you give me your story and give me all the documentation to back up your story and they're going to make a decision. So, Hey, so first and foremost, along that, just a quick little tip. So that's one of the reasons why we always suggest you keep the same email threads for every load. Because when you're communicating back and forth with your carrier, you want to keep the same subject line and the same thread for this very reason. Because anybody that's been in the industry longer than, you know, a handful of months or a year knows that like this stuff is common. It happens often. And once it does happen, usually you're busy with everything else you got to do. The last thing you have a need to or a desire to do is spend three hours in the middle of the week working through a claim. So when you do these things up front, you prevent problems for yourself later. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that one, Ben. All right. We're going to kind of go through the general um, normal progress of a load and talk about the documents as they pop up. Some of these might be out of order just because there's not necessarily a right place to put them in, but let's start with your customer's quote. Okay. Um, Again, a lot of this stuff is going to be sent or it might be spoken over the phone or something like that. Um, and there's no like uh, federally regulated quote sheet or anything like that. But I'll tell you, if you, you know, if you work for a decent sized brokerage, they probably got a quote form that you can use. And you can also generate one fairly simply um, in like an Excel sheet, throw your logo in there. But what you want to have here is the pertinent information um, that includes your rate and also how long that rate is good for, because we all know the market changes very, very fast right now. So at a minimum, right? The customer's name, you want to give them the price and what that price includes. Is that a line haul rate? Is there fluctuating uh, fuel in there? Does, you know, what's the equipment type? What is the pickup date? Um, Where is it picking up? Where is it delivering? Is it a team? What's the weight, dimensions, all that stuff, right? The quote sheet is going to be um, a good way for you to make sure your customer has all the information. Now, Ben, let me ask you this. You worked at a big box brokerage for a number of years. How often did you send over an actual quote sheet versus just sending it in an email or which it was fine or, you know, or just over the phone? What did that look like for you? Honestly, I've, I don't think I've ever filled out a quote sheet. Um, <laughs> I, I have always just done them via email. I mean, bids are usually done through TMS systems. So yep. like even in those scenarios, I mean, no, I'll take that back. I did do them often. And the reason I did them was because the military had a form that you needed to do for every SD tender. Yep. And you needed to fill the quotes out to be able to participate. And then it needed to be in a certain format. Otherwise they weren't accepted. So I did do them, but those were the only customers, I guess, if you will, yeah. But I do this for. And that is why I preface this episode with talking about email correspondence, right? Because um, email can save you time and do the exact same task. That's why I said, you know, um, one or the other is going to do the job. And honestly, customer quote, very, very rarely does anybody ever um, use them, at least in, you know, the, my company, Pierce Worldwide, that I'm with. Uh, I actually I had one guy last week. He, he created a quote, but it was for a really big project that involved multiple trucks and six of the six of the trucks were um, illegal loads. So they were oversized, over dimension, required escorts, permits, things like that. Um, but it, it broke down line by line. Why did this project cost $150,000? Oh, so project wise. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that's a good caveat because projects, I would send a formal quote because usually the customer is going to use your quote for their salespeople, or yep. sometimes they'll send it directly to their customer. Yeah. And say, here's so, what we're paying for transportation. That's yeah. why that's part of the cost here. 
So projects, yes, but I mean, in, in normal course of business, since email is legal, I mean, like that is written correspondence. Yep. It can be used in court. Most of the time, it's making sure everything you just named is still in there, but it's back in that same thread that I was using with that shipper. Customers yep. like, hey, here's the lanes I need today. Hey, let me know what you can do. I'm going to send them right back. I copy and paste their format, put my rates right underneath it. Yeah, I love it. Now the load tender is the next one. So this is when your customer gives you the load. And I'm going to caution a lot of people because I'm going to tell you right now, not everyone gets a gets a written load tender. Why do they call them load tenders, Nate? Do you know? I don't know the answer to that. Do you know? I don't. I was uh, I, well, I was genuinely curious if you had ever tendering. Heard. So tendering is to like the a verb give, right? Um, they're tendering the load to you. I don't know. Right? I mean, that's what I would assume. It's just like the term tender rejection. Right, that when a carrier is tendered a load and they reject it because they can't cover it for the rate they bid on a year before. C.H. <coughs> <C>. Robinson. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what is? Did you Google tender? See what the definition is. Yeah, what does a load tendered mean? It says a shipment retrieval request sent from a carrier to a shipper is called a load tender. It just defines it as that, I guess. The process of load tendering consists of requesting a load tender from a carrier and giving them the ability to respond by rejection or acceptance. There you go. So the broker, obviously, if they're getting the load instead of the carrier directly, um, the load tender would be the customer giving you the load and you're going to accept it or not. So Here's what I want to caution on because a lot of companies, and I see this a lot in the agent world, um, and it can happen in the W2 world as well, is if you're on a commission base. Now, if you're running your own brokerage, this is not applicable. Um, but if you're running your own brokerage and a customer short pays because they say, I didn't agree to that rate, your commission can be um, contingent on the fact that you can prove that the customer agreed to that rate, but still short paid. But uh, I'll give you an example of why this can be a problem. If you're doing produce that is per bag or per pallet, so like potatoes, onions, things like that, they might say, we are going to pay you $7 per 50-pound bag of potatoes that you haul for us. Um, sure, you can load to a maximum of 42,000 um, pounds, but if you load to 41,000 pounds, multiply that out, you know, how many bags times this rate, that's what we're going to pay you. So if a a broker or an agent has an invoice sent to the customer for X amount of money. And it looks like it was a big profit margin. And the customer short pays and says, well, no, I told him or her that it was, we're, we're going to be paying per bag that was loaded and they didn't load full. Well, now it's a discrepancy and how much are they going to pay? What did they really agree to? Was it an all in rate? Now the carrier has already been paid, whatever they were supposed to get paid. Commission might've been paid to the broker already. It can get super, super messy. But also, just in general, if you're running your own brokerage, um, if you don't agree upon this upfront and you send the wrong invoice amount out, not only does it cause headaches and you're going to make less money, it also delays the time that you're going to receive payment from your customer. So uh, I think it's really important to, to have some kind of verification of this as often as possible, especially when it's kind of goofy like that. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I mean, <clears throat> things that should be on there are obviously what Nate and Nate lined out, right? Like the shipper, the receiver's information, the load details, how they're paying, what that pay rate is, what it's applied against. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, they're pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, your pickup and delivery addresses, if there's multiple stops, any special requirements. If there's a pickup number, delivery number, um, purchase order number, anything that you're going to have to relay to your driver to make sure that they get to the right place at the right time with the right equipment and the right pickup numbers, et cetera. The same info that's going to be on your rate con, to be honest, yeah. in most cases. Yep. It's just the rate con in between the shipper and the it's broker. It's the rate con to you say. from the carrier. It's going to yeah. have that rate that they agree to pay you, right? So now that brings us to a good point is the next one is that rate confirmation, right? This, mm-hmm. and this is a document that is typically produced within your TMS. Uh, if you're not using a TMS, you're probably manually doing this in some way, shape, or form. This is what you're going to send to your carrier. It's Kind of the same thing as the low tender, but you're agreeing to pay a carrier a certain rate. That's why it's called a rate confirmation, but it's also going to include certain information on it, right? Pickup location, delivery location, dates, times, commodity, weight, equipment type, any special instructions like we just mentioned. Um, So here's one thing, two tips, right? Tip number one, if you have any special instructions, it is very, very important or very good idea to have those listed right near that rate on your rate confirmation because that always definitely going to be looking at the rate. So if you want them to see any special instructions, put it down by the rate. Otherwise, they're like, I didn't see that. Well, either way, if they signed it and accepted the load, they're going to be liable, but um, it'll prevent headaches. The other thing too, and I'm curious what you think about this, Ben, is not including a full pickup or delivery address on the rate confirmation. What are your thoughts on that? Say that one more time. So uh, let's say you're a carrier. I sent you a rate confirmation for a load and I decided to not include the specific pickup address, but I just gave you a city and state. So I think that's more to dispatching protocol, right? And you and I've talked about this. Like my opinion of the situation is one, you really shouldn't be tendering loads to a carrier with a Raycon until you've received a load tender from your customer, which means that they've committed to you and you actually have possession of that load in order to tender it to your carrier. But, and this is a big but, is especially in an industry and the way it's functioning now is you've got a lot of carriers that are honestly rejecting loads, falling out because rates are fluctuating a lot. And in, in scenarios where you've got to move faster, like common practice is for you to call a lot of shippers. In fact, there's a lot of shippers our clients work with. I've seen the emails, I've gone through them with them that say, call to book. So you call your customer and you say, hey, I have this truck. Your target rate was this. This is where my rate is. Will that work for you? Well, they're doing 10 other things, your customer, the shipper, and they say, yes, book that truck. I will take that load off of my TMS, off my board, and I'll get you a tender as soon as I get to it. But re- the reality is, is they're doing six or seven other things. They might be walking through the warehouse when they pick up your call. They might be on the back of a truck when they answer your call, what have you. So they're basically saying, hey, take my word. As soon as I get back to my desk, I'll get you that tender. Well, the reality of the market right now is that carrier is asking you because the carrier has risk. Yeah. The carrier wants to make sure that broker actually has that load and isn't just working on it. So you call the carrier back and you go, hey, I got the load from my customer. I will get you a rate con shortly. Well, most TMSs won't allow you to send a rate con to your carrier until you have the exact physical details on your load tender. Yep. So what do you do? Like you need the truck to, to trust you. 
because you trust your customer, but your carrier doesn't know your customer and has never run a load with them. So brings us yep. to the next point. You need yep, to be so able to go ahead. Well, I want, I want to hit on this too, because there are some brokers will choose to never include a full pickup address on the rate confirmation if possible. And there's a reason for that. And that reason is to prevent back solicitation from the carrier. So you, you can say you send a rate confirmation, carrier accepts it, gets the address, and then calls you and says, ah, I, I don't have a truck available anymore. And what did they do in the meantime? They, they called call the that shipper. shipper directly, offered a cheaper rate, and boom. Yep. And that's the customer forever. And they back solicited your business. And it's, you know, doesn't happen every time, but that is one reason. So what people will do is they'll tender, the, they'll give the rate confirmation, not put the pickup address, and they'll say, Call me when you're 50 miles out. Or mm-hmm. if they're already within 50 miles, call me when you're 10 minutes out. And or when I'll, you're empty. I'll give you on your way. Or yeah, whatever, right? Call me when you're empty and rolling. Um, mm-hmm. And then they'll confirm with the customer what carrier is going to show up, what truck number. So then if they try to back solicit, your customer already knows you're the carrier that, you know, Ben and Nate just scheduled to come pick this load up. Uh, no. Yeah. Right? So. So there's reasons for these things. And like and any of you that have maybe worked for a larger brokerage that are maybe on your own or still do like there are real reasons these dispatch procedures exist and they pre- they prevent a lot of risk. And that's why we advocate them. But back to Nate's point, you know, that's why I've always been a big advocate of TMSs that allow you to do exactly what Nate said for that very reason. I'm going to book the truck. And also, I really like the fact that like it shows that you're you're committing to that carrier like, hey, because I know some companies have different policies. They will only pay truck orders not used when the truck is rolling towards their pickup. They won't pay a truck order not used if the truck isn't empty yet. But I've been always been of the mind of like, hey, you book this guy. This guy hasn't been working on any loads. You are leaving him high and dry. And in those cases, like you really should compensate them in some way. But right now, the market isn't going to require that. But it's really good common practice to use in your brokerage. And I want to, I want to, you brought up a good point with Tonus, right? So the rate confirmation is a living document that can be changed as needed. So the reason for this is when the carrier is going to invoice you after the load's delivered, one of the documents typically required is going to be a copy of that rate confirmation that you sent them because we want to prove, you know, hey, you're invoicing our brokerage for a thousand dollars. Show me your rate confirmation that agrees to that. So if you have a change to a rate, let's say, for example, a stop was added, a stop was removed, there was a lumper added, um, there was a, you know, there was a detention added in there, or hey, maybe that you are going to find them because your customer is going to find $200 because they were four hours late to the pickup and the delivery, whatever it is, right? Or it changes to a trucker or not use, adjust that rate confirmation and save every copy so you can have, yes. you know, your TMS should be doing that for you, by the way, too, because you have no idea how much headache that I've had to do personally. And everybody probably out there has been through this is you get one of those loads that changes. They add a drop, everything Nate just said. And then when you go to reconcile this 40 days later, 45 days later, and somebody goes, well, this wasn't paid correctly. You can go back in your TMS and see, well, oh, well, you guys invoiced with the second Raycon. We changed this three times after that. Do you have the most recent copy? Yep. And they go, no. And you're like, oh, okay. This is why you're doing these things because you're preventing headaches later down the line. I always liked uh, some TMSs will always show you like, 
uh, every version that was sent out, when it was sent out, who sent it out, if it was signed or not by the carrier, yep. really cool stuff to help you track that. So that's the rate confirmation. And at the end of the day, if, I mean, if that carrier is going to invoice you for a certain amount of money, they've got to have some kind of proof as to what you're going to be paying them for and why. And that rate confirmation is going to be it. Also, if you have any kind of fines or variable pay or deductions included in your rate, make sure they are clearly stated on your rate confirmation. Like for example, if your customer is going to find $50 for a late pickup, you need to put in there, you know, $50, you know, subject to $50 rate deduction for late pickup or late delivery. Um, if your customer requires GPS tracking and they don't accept it and they are going to fine you for it because they rely on that, you need to include that in your rate as well. Okay. So that's rate confirmations. Any other thoughts on rate con before we hit the, uh, the legal document, the bill of lading? I mean, that, that covers, mo- I mean, that covers everything. Th- that's why they exist. They, they are very, very, they're there just to protect you and to make sure everybody does what everybody agreed to. I mean, yep. long and short best practice to get it signed. Some brokers will send it out and not even get it signed. Now there's multiple ways you can do this. It could be digitally signed using like, if you have like a, my carry packets or something like that. Um, it could be digitally signed in Adobe. If it's a PDF, they can print it out, sign it and send it back. Or they can just reply to your email and say, thank you. Agreed. Uh, accepted or agreed. And that is all going to be sufficient for them agreeing to that rate confirmation. So, all right. The bill of lading, the BOL, this is actually a legal document that follows the load from pickup to delivery. Now, back in the day, go ahead, Ben, you got something to say here. Yeah. I wanted to add one thing that I don't think we mentioned was we talked about detention, but you should have your detention terms in your rate con because that was probably the most disputed thing you would get is no. like When does it start? How many free hours are there? Yeah. Yeah, How many free hours you're giving them and what your rate is, because I can't tell you how many disputes I've been able to avoid by having that outline. And honestly, it needs to be agreed upon up front because you have a carrier come back and it's very common, especially in the drayage industry for carriers to put their detention terms in their email signatures. So they're in literally every email. So what happens is if you don't put your terms in, it reverts to theirs and they say, well, I sent you an email. It's in all my signatures. My intention rate is three times yours. Sorry. And you don't really have a leg to stand on at that point. That's a very good point. Very good point. Always put those comments in. All right. Bill of lading. This is a legal document. Now, back in the day before deregulation and everything, the bill of lading was a document that the carrier provided and they would, um, at the pickup, they would have the, uh, it would be signed there stating what was loaded. They would agree to it. Um, at Same thing at uh, delivery. It would be signed as well, stating that the product was all received, no claims, whatever, whatever. And that document would then be used as proof that everything was delivered and they, you know, they want their money for their services. Now, a lot of carriers will still provide their own bill of ladings, but with deregulation and things changing, some of these small carriers, they don't carry around a, you know, a packet of BOLs. They're just right. like, they expect the shipper to have it prepared for them. Some shippers will even ask the broker to prepare it. Some for brokers them. prepare them. I know yeah. I have brokers that have customers that they create yep. the BOLs for them. Absolutely. And the important thing here, being that it's a legal document, it needs to say, if you're brokering this law, it has to say third party charges to your brokerage. It's your, your brokerage is not going to be listed as the consignee or as the, um, 
consigner, any of that, right? You are just the third-party charges. Now, what is the BOL going to show? It's going to show the origin, the destination, the freight that is on board. So it'll say, you know, it could be like um, 12 pallets of whatever, the weight. Um, if it's hazmat, you, there's a box to check there. You can put your uh, hazmat classification in there. Um, and then there's three things to sign on the bottom. And that's going to have like shipper, receiver, driver all in there. So they're all agreeing, right? Shipper agreed that they loaded it on. Driver agreed that they accepted it. And then the receiver agreed that they received the load. There's one other thing I want to point out here that makes, the, and this is why it's important to understand that the BOL is the legal document. If you have a reefer load, so a temperature controlled load, the temperature that is listed on the BOL is the temperature that trumps everything else. So if the shipper puts a certain temperature on a bill of lading, but the broker or the shipper or the tender was different, says something else, it doesn't matter what it says. Whatever the BOL says is what will be legally held up if there's ever a claim. And by the way, takeaway that a lot of people don't know. Yes. And it's one of the first, it's why the first question when anybody asks me what the temperature is after they've loaded, my answer is always the same. Exactly what Nate said. What's the BOL say? What's the BOL say? What's the BOL say? They they just handed it to you. You're loaded. What's the BOL say? They're like, yeah, but what did you tell me? I'm like, doesn't matter. Just tell me what the BOL says because the person loading your, and oftentimes like that will change. And that's why they're the ones responsible literally for the cargo going into their equipment. They're the ones responsible for determining the temperature at which it needs to be kept. Yes. That's it. So also um, when a load is delivered, the receiver can annotate on the BOL if there's a shortage, damage, anything that's going to result in a claim, right? We call it OSD, overshort damage, right? If any of that exists, it has to be listed on that BOL. Otherwise, if everybody signs it and it's accepted, we call that a clean BOL, which means that everybody has legally stated that that load was good to go. There was nothing wrong with it. So if there ever is a claim afterward, it's going to be very, very, very hard to prove that something was wrong when everybody signed off that it was okay and good to go. So that BOL is big. And the BOL is another important document that the carrier will typically send in along with their rate confirmation. Cause that's proof that they picked up and delivered and everything went well. Okay. It's also a document that if you're going to issue out a fuel advance, right. Or a, yeah, fuel advance or any kind of advance, you want to make sure that you have a copy of a signed bill of lading that the shipper and the driver have both stated and been able to prove to you that this load has been picked up. Now you can give a fuel advance out. Ben, you were going to say something. What you got? I was really, I, I was looking up something. I was going to see if you knew the answer. Do you know what the word, where the word lading comes from and what I it actually means? I totally forget. It's like hundreds of years old though, isn't it? Yeah, it actually means, I mean, it means loading and one of the Webster Miriam it's an act of bailing, dipping, or ladling, but it also synonyms for cargo, draft, freight, haul, load, loading, payload, and weight. I mean, it is actually a synonym for cargo. That's yeah. I think it was like the old English dialect would say lading instead of loading or something <laughs> like that, right? Um, other, you know, people call them BOL. They might just call them their bills, yeah. right? Not to be confused with bills you have to pay or the Buffalo bills or, you know, anything else but uh what is a buffalo what is a buffalo bill by the way buffalo bill is like an old uh western cowboy so it's from the name it's from the guy that used to do the uh with annie i think that's where it came from i mean 
Buffalo because of the city of Buffalo, even though it's Orchard Park, which by the way, how did I not mention this in sports? There's a new stadium coming to Orchard Park in like four years. That's awesome. Yeah. There's no specific details on it yet, but if you're, if you're local or you're an NFL person, Google that there's going to be a new, the lease ends, I think in 2023 for Highmark stadium, which was formerly new era or bill stadium, formerly new era field, formerly uh, rich stadium, Ralph Wilson stadium, all that stuff, rich stadium. Yeah. But um, yeah, Bill and Bill, I don't know. Bill's Buffalo Bill. It's a, you know, the logo looks like Buffalo. Anyway, Bill of Lading, Bills. Okay, good stuff. All right, delivery receipt. Um, a lot of times, this could be called a POD, proof of delivery. Um, the Bill of Lading is often used as the delivery receipt. Usually they're as the proof of delivery. Have you ever had a, a customer or receiver that would give a separate? Or even a carrier that would have a separate delivery receipt. Yeah, there's quite a few shippers out there that have a separate um, POD that they would get with a BOL. They would sign the BOL and then provide a POD. And it's usually just a system that shipper had that yep. would, when they would go and scan all the inventory, it would print out what they scanned. And then that would be attached to the BOL. It's like a packing list a lot of times yeah. is what it comes down to. And, it, and remember this, you cannot use a packing list or a shipping manifest or any of that in lieu of a bill of lading. It does not work that way. Yep. Um, they're, not, they're not interchangeable. Right. Um, but they're, they're, like you said, they're often added in conjunction. So this is important to, to mention, though, whether it's a proof of delivery, delivery seat, packing list, any of those three. Make sure you know if your customer is going to require that when you invoice them. Because yes. And I was case. just going to say that it's yeah. funny. We're, no, same thought because I was going to say it on the carrier side. Cause I was just thinking about how many headaches you get by not clarifying with the carriers, what is needed for your shipper to bill. Yeah. So you need to make sure you're talking with your customers to know exactly what they need to pay. So yep. when you invoice them and then make sure you're consistent with whatever your customer needs, you convey that to your carriers because a lot of carriers will just send over what they're used to sending. Yep. And that causes a lot of headaches down the line. Yeah. Now I'm going to go a step further here and explain why this happens. So picture this larger shipper is growing and they don't, they can't just have one person handling all their, their payables now. So they've opted to use a online billing portal or payment portal or a third party, um, company that does all of their low tendering and their invoicing and all that stuff. And it's going to have you upload documents. And guess what? If you're missing something, you don't have a human to talk to. It's just going to reject it and your invoice won't get paid. It's going to delay your payment. So you need to make sure you understand what they require and make sure your carrier understands that they need to send that to you. Because guess what else happens? All of these carriers that use factoring companies and all the other people involved that you're, that you're using factoring companies, they all get rejected. And then you yep. end up with hours of accounting work to do at the end of every week, reconciling what could have been done correctly in the first place. Absolutely. Save yourself the headache. Um, these last two kind of go in conjunction. It's lumper receipts and scale tickets. So lumper receipts, we've talked about lumpers before. In a nutshell, um, third-party company at a distribution center that is going to load or unload a trailer and they don't work for the shipper. They don't work for the receiver. They don't work for the broker. They don't work for the carriage, just the third party, right? And they want to be paid on the spot. So whether you as a broker advance the carrier money to pay that lumper or they pay out of pocket and they get a receipt to get reimbursed, that receipt is going to be huge because a lot of times the shipper, your customer will say, hey, there is a lumper at this stop or at this unloading site or at this loading site and we will pay for it. 
but we need a receipt to show that $80 or the $200 or whatever it was that that lumper was used. So make sure you get that lumper receipt from the carrier so you can reimburse them, but also so your customer can pay for that lumper when they pay you. It's very, very important. Same thing with along that same vein, it's just, which is why you should also be making sure if your carriers are requesting detention, that those are signed by those same individuals at the yep. shipper and at the receiver. Like Shoulder when check they in check time. in, when they checked out, when, when they, were, they were brought in, because otherwise, even if you pay your carrier, the likelihood that your customer will pay you without that verification, you're pretty much usually left holding the bag. Yep. And it can result in you losing money on the load. So will result. I mean, well, assuming the detention is more than your profit was, which it can be very often. The last one we had on here was scale tickets. Uh, There's a bunch of other miscellaneous things, but so back to the original scenario, right? We're going to pay you per, you know, by weight or something like that. Um, A lot of times these companies, when you, they'll have you scale empty and scale loaded. And that difference is going to show the weight of the product that was loaded on there. And if you're being paid per 50 pound, bag of potatoes that was loaded or whatever, 50 pound crate of onions or something, or hundred pound crate. That is the secondary proof to not only the count of the, of what was loaded, but the weight of it. So those scale tickets or anything that's loaded bulk as well. There's, I legitimately, we had a, a guy years ago that would haul, he brokered loads of trash out of New York city. That, that's an actual commodity to be brokered mm-hmm. is truckloads of trash. And they were paid by the weight of the trash that was moved. So the scale ticket was really important in getting that invoice paid up by the customer for the correct weight of what was being moved. Let so, me ask you, Nate, I haven't, yeah. I, I know of shippers that requested scale tickets before loading, but I was just thinking, do they need those within the same date and time? Like, is that, Usually, how those are run. I haven't I haven't run a lot of freight that required scale tickets going in, but I would assume you probably need that from the same day, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so what I've seen is typically you're empty and you're loaded scale tickets to show what you had. But and I mean, does the date of the straight. empty? I guess my point is, if I'm a driver and I load there every time, do I got to go to a scale in a way that I'm an empty truck every time I pick up, or can I use the scale ticket from like last week? No, it'd be, it'd be same date. Otherwise you're going to have issues, right? They could say it's, well, this is a different truck. Your weight's different. You didn't, you actually hauled less than you said you did. Um, I would imagine I've never. Like I said, I know that, I know that those are all standards, like those scale tickets, the cat I mean, scale they, tickets are very scale specific. takes 30 seconds to run through. It's super fast. Right. Yeah. But uh Yeah. I did a lot of that in Chicago with drayage stuff going on the rail because well, the weight mattered. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are important documents. There's a bunch of other little nuanced ones that are out there that are customer specific. Um, so make sure that you just, the big takeaway is make sure you get an understanding with your customer as to what they're going to require and what to expect. So have you ever had any weird documents that we didn't list here, Ben? I mean, obviously with government stuff, you already mentioned like, yeah, you had to do a specific kind of quote in a certain format and have it uploaded. The thing is, it's keep in mind why brokers, I think, are so prevalent and are needed 
regardless of what technology comes out is the fact that every shipper has their own protocol. Like they have their own standard operating procedures, their own SOP, how they onboard carriers, which documents they require, why, what the format is. So you just be want to be very concise when you're going through this, when you start working with your customers. So you know what their needs are, their documents, what are required for invoicing, what's the shipping managers use, because even within that, a lot of times loads are tendered you know, states away from the place they're actually loaded. And there's not always communication between the person loading and the person tendering the loads. So you really want to know what is needed, where and why. And that's, that's how you set yourself apart from other brokers. Yeah. Agreed. I a hundred percent agree. So there are some other ones that um, I've seen. Have you ever heard of hob numbers? The uh, Mm -hmm. house airway bell. So like some freight forwarders that have, there's air freight and then it's final mile moved by a broker on a truck. Um, they're going to require like, you have to have a form that lists the hob number or like basically it could be container numbers. It could be their yeah. whatever numbers on it. Um, I've seen in the chassis world, if you're doing chassis repositioning, you've got to have a form that lists every single chassis that was moved on there. Or if it's a project and you have multiple truckloads, you need to put like um, a form that shows this is load one out of 12 for the project, whatever. And there's a special sheet that has to get delivered. There's all kinds of different nuances and just kind of weird Yeah. Stuff. The chassis thing is something you need to be accounting for because there is a daily charge for them almost in every case. Yep. And that the amount of days that chassis sits at your shipper is at your shipper's discretion. So that needs to be in there because you do bill for those things. The one thing we didn't talk about either is the documents needed to cross the border when you go from U.S. Customs. to Canada? Yeah, the cust- customs documents. So um, that is shipper produced. And I think a lot of people get con- confused on that if they're not used to international. Um, I know when I worked for Conway Freight, it was in a green envelope. So I, I, all the customs document, we knew this is an international load and it had all of its special stuff in there, but prepared by the shipper. Um, but yeah, that's, that's important stuff. And I did want to hit on one other thing too. And, um, I want to talk about taking pictures. Okay. Having your driver take pictures of certain things is going to give you even more documentation than just Huge paperwork. Point. So, uh, picture when you're loaded, picture of the bill of lading sign, picture when you're unloaded. Hey, if it's a reefer, I want a picture of the temperature that shows what it, what is in there. Right. Um, all kinds of stuff. If pictures your drivers, it's such a big thing. If you can get your drivers to just, especially on flatbed, like the where I've used those the most are secured flatbed loads, especially coils that were like very thin gauge that needed like specific tarping instructions. Just that quick photo saves you a ton of headaches. I mean, I've had to work through claims where I've had the photos where it was easy to work through. I didn't really have to do anything. I'm like, here's all of it. You guys deal yep. with it. Here's all the documentation. Everything's in there. Here's the email from the driver. Here's the photo of it loaded. Here's the photo of it when it delivered. And you determine whose fault it was that it didn't make it to its destination. Yep. Absolutely. Can't agree with you more, man. Claims are a pain in, pain in the butt. Pain in the butt. Hey, let me give you a funny story. It's not totally claims related, but this happened last week. We had a, a driver that um, arrived at a uh, shipping location and was taking his 10-hour reset. Mm-hmm. And while he was there, the, it was like in the middle of his reset, somebody at the facility was like, Hey, you, you got to move your truck. Like, I don't know. Parking like, spot over. It was like 20, maybe a yeah. hundred feet, something like that. So he moved it and it triggered that he the was clock. 
driving on a ZLD for like 34 seconds or something like that. And required, he's going to have to do his redo his entire thing. And we are like, what do we do here? Cause like if he, if he got stopped, the ELD is going to show that he was in violation and everything. Um, those are some of the loads that you just roll the dice on because yeah, that's just, that's a bad situation. So interesting. Huh. All right. Well, we got, we got some good, what would you do in that situation, Ben? Oh, it surprises me that the ELD doesn't have something in there for like short distances for that purpose. It's but. a, it's a, I think it's a time, right? Is it like if it's in motion for five seconds or something like that or speed, I forget they're all different, but it triggered it. Yeah, that's a roll of a dice. I mean, for everybody involved, I don't think the driver wants to restart his entire wait period. I don't think the load wants to wait to be moved. And I, th- I don't want to say like I would, or that anybody should take their chances, but I mean, I'd say there's that's a one of those things. Shot. So that the driver, if you're at a customer facility and be like, Hey, look, if you, if you have me move this truck, my reset, my 10 hours yeah. is going to, is going to start over and your shipment can't legally be moved until a certain time. So, mm-hmm. but either way, it's a, it's a bad situation for anybody. Anyway, we got three Q and a questions here, but first we got to give a shout out to our friends over at lean solutions group, whether it's, Staffing your brokerage and building up your back office. Maybe you need some accountants or some folks to receive all your carrier paperwork and everything like we just mentioned in this episode. Or maybe you need some account managers or an IT guy or a website built like they're doing for us or some marketing to get your brand out there. Check out our friends at Lean Solutions Group. They have a nearshore model of staffing that allows you to get high quality folks to support your brokerage at about half the cost of what they would cost in the United States. And these are top-notch, great English-speaking folks located in Colombia, South America. They got an office. They got three of them down there, right? Medellin and two other spots. But uh, good stuff. Check them out. LeanGroup.com. Link in the show notes. Okay. Q&A. First question. I hate this one. What's the best way to get the highest paying loads? I'll give you my... What's if you're that? a carrier, you want the highest paying load. You might not necessarily want the highest... Oh, is, he, is it a carrier load. or broker? I don't know. If it's a carrier, highest paying loads is uh, <laughs> move freight right now, I guess. Yeah, I'm like, follow, I don't care what the, the highest hot, rate is. I care what the highest margin is would be my question. Yeah, so highest paying doesn't really matter. Yeah, let's talk about highest margin loads. I will tell you the more work that you have to do as a broker to make this load happen is typically where you're going to make the most money. I had a guy that I worked with like four years ago and he told me, he's like, Nate, I can get just about any load I want from my customers. Um, but I let, I let the other people do that. Cause my, he's like, I'm way too smart to be doing the easy freight like that. He goes, I like to solve their problems when they can't figure it out. And other brokers can't figure it out. He's like, I will figure it out. I will line up, you know, uh, a project for them to get zero empty miles and all these carriers lined up to do this thing for the next month or whatever it is. And he goes, and I will make my margin by putting in the work to actually be a problem solver and be that logistician that a freight broker needs to be. So that's the way to do it is do the hard, hard to move freight, the hard to figure out situations. That's where you make your money. Yeah. It's also where your, your value is most yes. evident to the customer. Absolutely. I mean, and you're, <laughs> you're typically not going to get those loads right away. Here, here's the other thing. I mean, I've used this story and I've talked about this before, but like one of my first customers was builders transportation. Um, they are been since acquired by some huge company. But when I worked with them, like how I got in was 
they couldn't get flatbeds that had the equipment they needed. They were trying to book them in a lot of cases and they were getting a lot um, that didn't have headache racks or the right amount of pipe stakes. And the shippers were looking for more capacity and the other brokers just, I don't know, weren't willing to be that diligent with their carriers. So they were constantly rejecting trucks and it was just thinking outside the box. So I called a small like metal fabrication shop right outside where that shipper was and said, Hey, could you make these for me? I cut them like a, I cut them a check for like 150 bucks or something. And then I would give on my driver's rate cons an extra 150. I would add that margin to the cost. They would pick up pipe stakes and then go to the shipper right with the equipment they needed. I always thought it was funny how expensive people will charge, how much they'll charge for pipe stakes when they're literally like. It's a rebar with a Yeah, you can do like 20 bucks. You should be able to get a you know set of four. Yeah. But yep. some like some drivers will tell you, I get the pipe stake, I charge you 200. It's like, no. <laughs> well, like I said, I paid to get them manuf- They were fabricated yeah, oh, out of rebar just yeah. because there wasn't a, like I tried to find some place that sold them and they were in the middle of, I think it was like Texarkana or something. Like there wasn't a whole lot of anything else around them. But it was just a simple way, like you said, this guy likes to solve problems. For me, that was me solving a simple problem with a simple solution that gave them a whole lot of value and separated me from everybody. Yep. Absolutely, man. I dig that. That's good. That's good. All right. Next question. My customer cut me off after I gave my first load back to them. What do I do now? What do I do? So you got your first load and you couldn't cover it and you gave it back. Well, part of it is on you for not delivering on the promise that you gave to your customer. You didn't actually, you probably called and said, I had a truck and you didn't have a truck. And now your customer, you know, you, they didn't do anything wrong by firing you. They just exposed the stupidity that you decided to have um, when you didn't actually have a truck. I mean, if you had a carrier fall off and you that couldn't cover it, then I would just tell them like exactly what happened and say like, I'll be honest, like this, this is what happened. And they, they fell off on me and I can't find anyone else. Maybe offer to move a load at cost for them, something like that. Happens. I mean, honestly, right now it's happening so much. The second, not the first, the second happens a lot just because carriers will commit to a load and they're like, Hey, I got a better paying load and they're just not ethical enough. And they drop them and take them. That is going to happen. And I think in that scenario, you just like Nate always says, bad news is best given early and often call yeah. them as soon as you oh, I know. said bad news gets worse with time, but yeah, same thing. <laughs> Right. Regardless, same point. They, they right? It's just getting there and calling them and saying, hey, look, I had the truck. Truck um, either broke down, truck fell out on me, truck stuck at his shipper. Be honest and say, hey, I didn't I didn't, you know, mislead you. We had it. But this lane's so tight now, to be honest, like there's not another truck within 100 miles. And that absolutely could be the case. Or maybe the case is, yeah, there's another truck, but it's $3,000 more than the other truck because the first guy was a back haul and the next guy's a front haul. Be honest about that too. I can't imagine a shipper's going to expect you to take a $2,000 loss in your first load. Right. Yeah. Agreed. All right. This last one makes me laugh. Somebody asked, do good double brokers exist? And they want on to explain um, like, hey, what if somebody is double brokering, but they're actually adding value because they're finding more capacity? And this is just somebody that's inexperienced in brokerage that's asking this question because there's nothing good about double brokerage. No, no one that's double brokering a load is getting you access to more capacity because you have access to the same capacity that they have. 
Um, if it was something specialized, that's when a co-brokerage agreement would come into play. But double brokering, there's lying involved. There's deceit involved. Your customer's not aware of what's going on. It's just bad all around. I'll say one caveat where I kind of disagree with you. I don't Uh think it necessarily is specialized freight or that access is why co-brokering isn't needed. Double brokering is unethical. You're lying. You're deceiving somebody. You are tendering the load to another company that everybody else involved in isn't aware of. That's what's illegal and unethical. But co-brokering, like every major brokerage co-brokers with other major brokerages because there's some capacity that just doesn't like to work with some brokers. Like even though everybody has access technically to the same market, there's some carriers that like, to be honest, only run for Echo or will only run for TQL or only like to run for CH or only like to run for Crowley or USPS or FedEx or whatever the large ones are. And I mean, they all will source capacity from each other. But as like Nate said, it is in a transparent manner through a co-brokering agreement where everybody involved knows where the truck's coming from, who's being paid and what the margin is. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, double broker and get you uh, get you messed up real fast. So, well, that's a wrap. Make sure if you're a new broker looking to get some extra education, check out our Freight Broker Basics course, which comes with a free month of group coaching. You can find a link in the show notes. It's the first two links you'll find in there. And check out um, our Facebook page, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network. Our yeah. new website should be launched in the next, I would say, ten days. Well, let's, let's hope, man. Everything takes twice as long as you think it does when you're trying to build something. So well, we got a good product. So yeah, we do. We do. We, we kept, be done we right kept, and that's nothing on lean. We kept changing our mind on what we wanted to have stuff look like. So I uh, got to be grateful that they're they're being patient with us. So really thanks to Lean Solutions Group. Well, any final thoughts, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time with the new stadium coming hopefully soon. Go Bills! That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.